0: in 50 yards turn right on Main Street. Continue on Main Street. On second thought, go directly to Tim Hortons. Order any
1: freshly baked bagel and Philadelphia cream cheese for just a $1.99. Like the new Asiago bagel with chive and onion cream cheese recalculating
0: route to your nearest Tim Hortons. Change up your morning routine with a bagel and cream cheese from Tim Hortons. Now, just $1.99 at participating U.S. restaurants for a limited time.
2: SRN Survival, Survival Radio, Radio Network, Network. 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 Oh. And that this is our first of many episodes of the Weekly Wellness Show. I'd like to thank Mr. Clark Garrison, founder and CEO of the Survival Radio Network, and his staff for allowing us the privilege of broadcasting to you. This show focuses on various relevant health topics on a weekly basis. We will host physicians, pharmacists, and other healthcare professionals to bring about a better understanding of health and wellness issues. Today we have an exciting and informative show for you, along with interesting topics and dynamic guests.
1: In our first segment,
2: we'll be discussing prostate cancer with Dr. Roderick C. Givens, and in our second segment, we'll be talking about maximizing the role of the pharmacist in your health care with registered pharmacist Philip Saunders. So with that, we'll go for our first commercial break, so please stay tuned and be informed. Looking for a cafe with a home-like appeal where all who enter feel like they are part of something? Visit My Coffee Shop, located in East Lake, Atlanta, Georgia. MCS has a full breakfast and lunch menu, offering both hot and cold options, and is home of the amazing basil lemonade. But don't forget their assortment of freshly brewed coffees. Come on by at 2462 Memorial Drive, Atlanta, Georgia 30317. We're pretty sure My Coffee Shop at East Lake will become your coffee shop too. It's the book
1: everybody's talking about. This has been a public service announcement by acclaimed author Gay Polk Payton based on the Latin term res ipsa loquita, which means the thing speaks for itself or more commonly known, it is what it is. This book speaks to relationships, fitness, parenting, religion, and more. Get your copy today by going to www.gaypolkpayton.com. This has been a public service announcement.
0: Survival Radio Network, with now more than 1 million downloads. Congratulations to the staff, producers, engineers, and hosts for your tireless pursuit of excellence. And thank you, our loyal listeners, for supporting this movement to inspire, motivate, and educate people worldwide. Survival Radio Network, Survival Radio Christian Network, and our new Survival Sports Radio Network broadcast top-notch shows Sunday through Saturday. Check us out by visiting our website at www.survivalradionetwork.us. SRN, we do radio one million strong.
1: Oh, Hello. Hello. Can you hear me? Yes, yes. Yes. You are
2: tuned to the hottest network out. N R N. We do radio. Welcome back. We're glad to have you. You're listening to the weekly wellness show. You're a resource for mental health. On the Survival Radio Network, I'm your host, Dr. Aaron Williams. Remember, we're not here to waste your time, but to enhance your mind. Now, according to the American Cancer Society, excluding skin cancer, prostate cancer is the most common cancer in American men. This year, it's estimated that about 163,000 men will be newly diagnosed with this disease. About 26,000 will die from this disease. However, most men who get diagnosed don't die from this cancer. In fact, about 2.9 million men are living today with prostate cancer. To further discuss this, I've asked Dr. Roderick C. Givens to join us on the show. Dr. Givens is a radiation oncologist. He treats cancer with radiation therapy. He is a graduate of Howard University in Washington, D.C. He received his M.D., From the Meharry Medical College in Nashville, Tennessee He did his residency in radiation oncology at the Cleveland Clinic As you know, Cleveland Clinic has consistently ranked in the top five hospitals in the United States for the past several years Let's welcome to the show, Dr. Roger C. Gibbons Morning Dr. Gibbons
0: Good morning, how are you?
2: Good morning, sir. Thank you for joining us. My uh, pleasure. I'm so glad to have an uh, expert with regard to cancer, and specifically prostate cancer with this disease. Uh, the, uh, the stats that I mentioned are kind of profound. They're kind of uh, not so uh, happy in the beginning, but in the end we see that 3.9 million men are living today with this disease. So, we hope that you can and we feel that we will enlighten the audience today about this disease um, I know that you treat this every day
0: i do i do uh every day i've got patients um uh as young as forty years old uh and as uh as uh and i don't want to use the word old, but at the age <laughs> of uh <laughs> right seventy five or eighty um but I think the most uh, important statistic that you mentioned is not necessarily how many people are diagnosed, but how many men are actually alive today and doing well with this disease. And it's basically a testament to the um, advances in treatment and the fact that really uh, in most cases this is a disease that when treated appropriately, most men can go back to living a normal life.
2: I wholeheartedly agree. Uh, I I guess, you know, since we all, particularly men, are affected, so that means that everyone who has a father or a brother or uncle uh, is potentially affected, this is whether you're male or female, what are some of the symptoms that one might look out for with regard to prostate cancer?
0: Well, that's a great question, and whenever I do public speaking, I kind of tell folks, to be honest with you, in the uh, early stages of this, this disease, there are no symptoms. And so that really leads into the fact that the the best uh, thing that uh, we recommend is early detection, early screening. Because by the time there are symptoms, and uh, typically that indicates that, that the disease is at a relatively advanced stage. And so we, I really try to tell folks basically, this disease is without any symptoms or asymptomatic in the early stages. And then in the later stages, you can experience various urinary symptoms from, you know, urinary frequency, urgency, pain, uh, bleeding, those sort of things. But in general, that's years down the road with an undiagnosed disease. So ideally, we'd like to see patients before they develop symptoms in the first place.
2: Right, yeah, I think, you know, if we if we apply that to a lot of the cancers, uh, as a radiation oncologist myself, you know, when they first find out what I do for a living, they, they say, Oh wow, you really must be you know, you must. that must be a really depressive kind of uh field and I'm like, Well, no it's not. If we catch things early, there are a lot that we can do. Of course, there's some cancers that we can't do a whole lot about and that's because the technology and research hasn't caught up with us, but for prostate cancer that's not the case. Um What about diagnosis, Dr. Givens? I mean, uh, how would you know? We're walking through this process with with the symptoms. Uh, What about screening and diagnosis?
0: Well, that's that's really the key to uh, healthcare in general, and I I really sort of say the 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 same way we should take care of our, our vehicles. We should take care of our bodies. And so let's get it checked out. Um, let, let's get it maintained, uh, uh, you know, before it, it breaks down. So um, uh, we recommend screening, basic with a basically, if you're a man, a male, at the age of 40, mm-hmm. and there's a little controversy as to how early you know, screening uh, should be done, and whether a PSA, which is a, a blood test, the prostate-specific antigen, needs to be done. But still, my recommendation is that um, any male, um, especially if they have a strong family history uh, of other individuals in their family who have prostate cancer, should have a PSA and a prostate exam starting at the age of 40. Uh, there are some other studies that say fifty sixty and that some that sort of uh... argue against it but my hard and fast rule especially for african-americans which are more uh... susceptible to this disease and tend to have a more aggressive form of the disease i still recommend rectal uh, rectal examination psa starting at the age of forty
2: i i i agree with you i think uh... you know <laughs> Being a male and being around males, a lot of us don't like to hear the sound of a digital rectal exam. But, but can you explain and, and relate to men why this is important and what does that tell
0: the physician? Right. Well, well. The rectal examination, right, is is unpopular. Guys just say, Oh my goodness, I don't want to get it done. Here, here's one thing right. I can tell you: is there's no report in any literature throughout the world that anybody has ever died from a rectal examination. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so, so there's never been a reported incident. Is it a little uncomfortable? Sure. Right. I, I've had mine done ever since I'm 40, and I've uh, mm. I'll be hitting 51. So I've had 11 of these things. I'm alive to talk about. Wow. It. Relatively right. uncomfortable. But here's the thing: is that. Uh, even though a man's PSA may be within the normal range. And then the screening test, basically the PSA, should be between 0 and 4. However, we mm. always combine examination of the prostate because basically the physician is feeling for lumps, bumps, nodules uh, mm. on the prostate. And I can't tell you how many patients I've seen who have had an absolutely normal PSA. If PSA comes in at 1.0 or 2.0, However, mm-hmm. their family doc or their urologist said, well, look, we also need to combine this with the examination, and there's a lump on the right or the left side of the prostate. And so the truth of the matter is, is that while the PSA is extremely sensitive and very important, we always combine that with physical examination because the combination mm-hmm. of the two gives us a higher likelihood of picking up a disease.
2: Right, I mean, you brought up an excellent point You know, we're lucky with cancer that this is one cancer that you can do screening with a blood test I mean, I wish we had this for some other types of cancers But realize, I think, that the PSA, or prosthetic-specific antigen, this blood test Now, sometimes, because it's elevated, it does not necessarily mean you have cancer Sometimes it can be an infection Is that, uh, do you concur, uh, Dr. Absolutely uh, like that's right, and,
0: and that's why, you know, there's no, in, in medicine, there's no one-size-fits-all. The the PSA is a screening tool, and right, it can be, you know, artificially elevated due to uh, infection, trauma, you know, other things like that, but that's the importance of, with it being elevated, also combining it with uh, rectal examination, also following the prostate or, or following the PSA levels, you know, if there's a need to be repeated or if there's some elevation uh and then at some point you know a, a urologist will determine whether or not a biopsy needs to be made but that's all information that has to be taken into account at the visit and subsequent visits to make a good medical decision on management of any particular individual you
2: mentioned biopsy uh Take us through that process, and 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 what you know for those of those for those that might not know what what is a biopsy? Well, a, a biopsy,
0: just like with a breast biopsy or any sort of procedure, means obtaining uh, a tissue sample. And so, with um, with ladies who develop a a, a lump in the breast. Well, a sample of that tissue may be obtained using a needle or a surgical procedure where a small incision is made in order to uh, get tissue and send it off to the lab. With a prostate biopsy, that involves uh, a urologist who uses an ultrasound, and that is basically a sort of a, a probe that's placed in the rectum. Typically, uh, some light anesthesia is given. Some people do, uh, some urologists do do that procedure with the patient wide awake. But most uh, urologists these days, you know, people are very anxious, tend to do a little light anesthesia to do this procedure. And it's basically using an ultrasound probe that's placed into the rectum. It basically allows the urologist to visualize the prostate on a screen. And typically, biopsies are done on both sides of the prostate with a needle to obtain tissue. And the reason the camera is used is so that any areas that look abnormal or suspicious, they can basically hone in the, the uh, needle to those particular areas that may, uh, like I said, that look suspicious and that may actually be cancer so that a diagnosis
2: can be made. Wow. Excellent. Once, so once we have a diagnosis and it comes back, the pathologist looks at it under the microscope, and they call Mr. Johnson or Mr. Doe in and start talking about the diagnosis. What are some of the treatment options that a that, that a man and his family? What are the options these days?
0: There there are a number of options, ranging from what's called observation, which means watching and doing nothing, to radical prostatectomy, which is a surgical procedure where the prostate is actually removed. Uh, there's uh there are forms of radiation um, using what's called external beam radiation, which is done using a linear accelerator, and that basically aims a beam of radiation from the outside at the area of the prostate. There are seed implants that use uh, a a um, a radioactive source either called iodine or palladium that are actually implanted into the prostate. Kind of similar to the reverse of a biopsy, where there's a camera that's used that will guide the radiation oncologist and the urologist to actually place seeds throughout the prostate that do radiation internally. There's a hormonal treatment. There's also cryosurgery, which is freezing of the prostate. uh, And then there's also just hormonal treatment by themselves. So I don't know how many things I just named, but that's at least five (laughs) or six management options. But that's the importance mm-hmm. of this disease is that there are a number of options. And what we as physicians and the patient have to do is sit down and look at the various factors affecting them with regard to the disease itself, whether it's localized, mm-hmm. whether it's extended within the prostate, and then come up with the appropriate treatment for each
2: individual. I agree. It's a, it's a, it's a patient decision as well as a family decision. And during that consultation, you know the side effects and complications of each procedure are discussed, and that way, uh, I think the family and patient make a expert or at least the best decision that they can with the data that's there. Uh, no one has a crystal ball, but you know the other thing I like to talk about, Dr. Givers, is you know so is it great we have treatment? How does one if you got a family history or you're or male period? Uh, what what are some of the steps that we could take to prevent prostate cancer or decrease our chances of having prostate cancer? I mean, I've read so much literature. You know, we always talk about diet, but any elaboration on that?
0: Well, the, what I'd recommend, you know, folks, is a general healthy lifestyle overall, mm. okay? And, and so this applies not only to prevention of prostate cancer but lung cancer, prevention of colon cancer prevention of um uh skin cancer all of it, <laughs> these things it's first of all you know avoiding excessive use of tobacco products and smoking and that sort of thing diet exercise and by diet what I mean is relatively low-fat or healthy fats. Um, you've heard about omega-3s and that sort of thing, eating things like you know, fish and chicken and those sort of things, but avoiding fried, greasy, you know, oily foods. Um, there have been some studies that have looked at the use of um, you know, the d- different vitamins and supplements that may play a role in prevention of prostate cancer. Not necessarily have they been, you know, reproducible, but there's been some things that say, well, the you know, uh, use of selenium and then also use of vitamin E and then vitamin D and that sort of things. But either way, what I sort of tell folks is, is it's fine to use a general, you know, men's, you know, over-the-counter uh, supplement. Absolutely nothing wrong with that. I've never been an advocate of following these little studies that say, oh, grapeseed oil, you know, uh, almond extract, Mm -hmm. and then just all of a sudden buying a ton of that stuff to prevent a particular (laughs) problem, you know, because a little bit of it might help. A whole lot of it doesn't. It's kind of like buying a lottery ticket, you know. uh, Well, you know, it's a $10 million lottery. If I buy 100 tickets, that's going to give me a better chance than 10 tickets. Well, yeah, but how much benefit are you really going to get? So... I, I sort of tell folks, look, feel free to take any of the over-the-counter supplements, Centrum Silver, or men's mega vitamin, or something like that. That's fine. But, look, we need need to just exercise, keep our weight down. Um, interestingly, and I will tell you this, a lot of guys mm-hmm. will love this. Now, there's one study out there that is, um, mm. and, and I forget exactly which organization. It may have been American Urological Association or one of those, but it actually did show and for these guys who are married or have boy uh, girlfriends and so forth, um, and you know, a higher frequency of sex lowers the incidence of prostate cancer. And look, what? When, I, when I saw that article, you know, yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I know wow. another, a, a bunch uh, of other
0: men that started jumping up and down and showed that article <laughs> to their wife. And uh, <laughs> Got get, I think you're going
2: to have a lot of wives and girlfriends calling you and saying, hey, we have gotten my husband. <laughs>
0: exactly right. are like, shut up. Don't talk about those types of things. You know? <laughs> But but I've but read it did. That too, it, but yeah. That's right. <laughs> it, but it did show, you know, a, a slight benefit uh, uh, in reducing the, the 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 risk of prostate cancer. So look, hey, uh, it, it is what it is. Yeah. Say, hey,
2: baby, you know, you can help me reduce my prostate cancer risk.
0: Uh, that's right. I mean, <laughs>
2: <laughs> exactly. That, that'll be a dialogue between uh, you know, man and partner. Uh, but I agree. I mean, some of the studies I've read have been. It's just what you said with regard to diet, you know, <clears throat> you know the fat in the diet, uh, you know, monitoring your weight. Weight is a big issue, and I think you started off uh, with the excellent point that, you know, if you do just some of these simple things, not only would you take care and decrease your chances of having prostate cancer, but you, you enhance your chances of not having other diseases. I mean, you can't go wrong with a low-fat diet. Right,
0: that's right. Preventing, you know, hypertension, you know, diabetes. Of course, you know, lowering your weight is less pressure on your joints, so you reduce the risk of having to have a hip replacement, a knee replacement, you know, you know, in the future, and a number of other ailments that uh, that men experience.
2: Right now, last last topic I want to touch on before we go to commercial break uh you know you see a lot of commercial you see the Nugenics commercial with this testosterone for low T uh what's your opinion about men taking uh supplements like that and and how does that or do you have a feeling with that puts them at increased risk of prostate cancer well here's what we're dealing with
0: with low T is you've got guys who are you know have a lower energy level you know that can also affect sex drive and so low sex drive and that sort of thing which uh, then uh, impacts uh, mental health and and overall mental state. And so my recommendation is that, okay, it's fine to, you know, uh, be evaluated and be treated with a testosterone supplement, provided you've at least been screened and continue to be screened for prostate cancer. Mm-hmm. We know that prostate cancers are stimulated by testosterone. That's just a normal male hormone that circulates through the bloodstream. During the cases when we have guys with advanced disease, we often use hormonal treatment that is an anti-testosterone agent, meaning we're trying mm. to actually lower the testosterone within the system because prostate cancers can be fed by that hormone. So, bottom line is, is that if you're being treated or being considering getting treatment, you know, for low T, just be very diligent to be screened carefully for uh prostate cancer with a PSA as well as rectal examination on an ongoing basis and typically that's on an annual basis meaning at least once a year uh have that uh th- those two screening tests were done
2: I I agree and uh <clears throat> you know we want to remain relevant and not just thought of that and seeing, uh, you know, a ton of uh, Nugenics commercials and not disparaging Nugenics, but uh, we all uh, uh, kind of have a feeling that testosterone may have something to do with prostate cancer, and it's, like you said, it's not anything wrong with using these products. You just need to be monitored, you know, at the same time to make sure that your PSA is, is not affected. Uh, well, hey, Dr. Gibbons, we thank you for coming by and, and sharing your expertise you know, I plan to have you back uh, to talk about other cancers in the future. And, uh, you know, feel free to 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 uh, uh, let us know of any potential topics that's happening within your field. And uh, we'll hopefully reach out to you for future episodes. Absolutely. My pleasure. I,
0: I hope to be back soon. All
2: righty. With that, we'll go to our second commercial break. And when we come back, We'll stop by the pharmacy and talk to our pharmacy expert.
1: Do you have a business, product, service, or an event coming up? Is your current marketing getting you nowhere? Survival Radio Network is an award-winning network with over 1 million downloads. We're offering high-exposure 30-second spots on our network, reaching diverse demographics both locally and nationwide. Give us a call at 323 8172 or visit our website at www.survivalradionetwork.us today. SRN, we do
0: radio. Do you have tax issues, Oh, back taxes, or need tax relief? Contact L&B Tax Service today. L&B offers you over 15 years of expertise and first-class tax service for individuals, professionals, and business owners. With nationwide service, you can easily find a location near you. Contact one of our tax professionals through our website, lbtaxservice.com. That's www.lbtaxservice.com. L&B Tax Service Incorporated, tax professionals that you can trust. Do you know that having a dirty filter in your heating and air system can cause major damage to your unit and include the air in your home? Having proper maintenance to your heating and air system is just like getting a tune-up on your car. Because you'll want today and avoid spending unnecessary money tomorrow. Call Temperature Design Heating and Air today. 770-823-7160.
1: That's 770-823-7160. The S R N.
2: Welcome back. Welcome back. You're listening to the Weekly Wellness Show, your resource for better health on the Survival Radio Network. I'm your host, pharmacist, physician, entrepreneur, Dr. Aaron Williams. Going into our second segment, according to... The American Society of Health System Pharmacists, 60% of patients misunderstand the directions on how to take their medications. Also, 50% of all hospital medication errors happen because patients have not told their doctor or pharmacist about the medications that they're taking. Did you know that 20 to 50% of patients do not take their medications as prescribed? How can we produce or reduce these statistics? To help us understand and change that, I've asked registered pharmacist Mr. Philip Saunders to join our show. He's a graduate of the College of Pharmacy at Florida A&M University, my alma mater, a university that has been ranked by the U.S. News and World Report at Forbes and Princeton Review Magazine as one of the top universities in the southeast as well as the country. Mr. Saunders is the founder and owner of Williams Pharmacy in Tampa, Florida. Let's give a round of applause and a warm welcome to Philip Saunders, registered pharmacist. Good
1: afternoon, Dr. Williams.
2: Good afternoon, sir. We thank you so much uh, for joining us today I know that the, the stats that I mentioned earlier are, in my opinion, a little, a little shocking. I'm not totally surprised, but it, it, it reinforces it when you see it in black and white, when you start looking at the fact that a lot of the general public uh, are still missing uh, a valuable piece with regards to their health care, and I think that pharmacists can help with that piece. I know that yes. you have, and I guess, first of all, I'd like to, to 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 say that, you know, to meet someone who is a pharmacy owner, because that is not common these days, uh, but for someone to have their own pharmacy and still working in the community, hats off to you. But how can we change some of those statistics uh, with regard to patient education?
1: Well, first of all, Dr. Williams, I'd like to start by saying that, um, Today's healthcare system involves many team members of the uh, healthcare area. And what we are all ideally attempting to do is provide the best results or treatment path for patients. Oftentimes, providers will provide their services independently when interacting with a particular patient. What we're going to do today is talk about. Uh, the role of the pharmacist as part of the team and acting independently with the patient and subsequently making referral or suggestions as they engage other members of the health care. Now, pharmacists Excellent. have... Yes, sir. Pharmacists have a Excellent. great degree of expertise. And what yes. we do uh, is... Uh, Can you hear me, Dr. Williams?
2: Yes, uh uh-huh. You're coming through quite nicely. All
1: right. right. Uh, What we do is provide uh, services in many areas, that is pharmacists. What I'd like to focus on is the community pharmacist platform where I say that we are more or less the healthcare bartender. We have a lot of interactions with patients, and it's during those times that um, we often hear some of the feedback that patients won't necessarily communicate to their physician. Exactly. One of the major things, yes, sir. One of the major things that I think that we could do in our profession, pharmacy, is um, first recognize that there is a team approach. Many times, pharmacists might provide their services rather independently, with no suggestion to the patient that they make reference to that consultation or interaction to their physicians when we become interactive in terms of our expert drug therapy information um, it will help enhance the value if that patient were instructed or socialized to reflect those consultations back to their doctor upon their subsequent visits
2: so
1: in general and in short
2: yes sir yeah, no, you're right. I mean, a lot of times the pharmacist is kind of like, you know, people see their pharmacist more than, theoretically, more than they see their physician. Um, whether that patient is going into a pharmacy to, to, to get an actual prescription or, or, or pick up some other item within the pharmacy, uh, that pharmacy service is, is there, and, and they don't have to make an appointment in contrast to, you know, seeing their physician. So, okay. it gives us a tremendous opportunity to, to enhance the healthcare with regard to, to, to medications. So, what are some of the things that you've implemented in your pharmacy? I've been to your pharmacy. Uh, you have a very neat area. You know, a biggest thing that a lot of pharmacies or pharmacists are asking now when you get your medicine is hey, um, do you need any consultation or would you like to talk to the pharmacist? What are some of the things that – why should a patient or a customer say yes to that question when someone at the cash register asks them, would you like to talk to the pharmacist?
1: Well, Dr. Williams, what we find in the healthcare field is that most patients regard confidentiality as a primary concern, and sometimes they are reluctant to actually offer that information or be candid about their situation. That is why, as one of the primary uh, benefits or factors that we believe will provide a successful scenario between the pharmacist and the patient, is to have an actual relationship with that patient. And mm-hmm. also, we know that community pharmacies have a tremendous potential to provide that as opposed to big box operators who see so many customers and they are so poised uh, in a production platform or perspective that sometimes opportunities for interaction and rapport can be overlooked. So when a patient comes to Williams Pharmacy, what we do, first of all, we want to reassure that patient that they're going to receive a professional level of service every time they come to our pharmacy. And we also ensure them that all the transactions and statements regarding their health information will be regarded with the utmost confidence. Then, in an actual scenario where they come into our pharmacy, we want to give them an expectation of what will happen when they bring us their prescription. Is it going to be an hour? Will it be a few minutes? Uh, We resolve things as to whether or not we have it. We review their insurance information, and we go from there. Uh, Upon successful completion of their prescription, the pharmacist typically is trained to ask a responsive question. Do you understand the instructions? This may be a part of that relationship the pharmacist can assess, will assess the characterization of their patient. Is this an elderly patient? Have they had some uh, diminution of their cognitive skills? Do they have a good memory? Uh, how did they appear when they were in? Did they appear confused to some degree? All these can be signs and symptoms of a disorder or disease, condition, and it can also be a fact of age. So all these things factor in how the pharmacist will um, proceed in terms of advising or consulting this patient. What we do also is we ask a patient if they're returning with the medication, if they've had success with the medication. Are you feeling any any issues? Uh, In a preemptive stage, for instance, if they take something that's for hypertension, we know that hypotension, orthostatic hypotension, may occur at the beginning of therapy. There may be an adjustment period with most medications. Uh, and these times we have to be preemptive as health professionals and say, listen, this is what I want you to expect. In a week to ten days, you may occur. Uh, this may occur. What I'd like you to do to resolve that is this. When your alarm clock ring, rings, for example, don't jump out of a bed like a fireman. Place your feet on the floor. Allow your head to clear, especially you're talking about our population now becoming older in general and people are living longer, and their socialization is such that they may be living without a caregiver that's here by their bedside. So these are some of the yeah. activities and, and highlights that we emphasize at our pharmacy to make sure that a person is well taken care of. Um, other... Considerations would be that um, there may be drug interactions or side effects yeah. that can be something other than drug therapy. This is why having a rapport where a person may say, well, you know, I'm leaving the pharmacy. I'm going to go have lunch with my girlfriend. Uh, she likes great and so on and so forth. And so those kind of comments, that interaction, that frankness, uh, every asset of communication would not be deliberate. Sometimes it's incidental based on having a rapport with your pharmacist. And so we think that we're in a position to provide this great service.
2: Right. I mean, as I started off, 60% of patients misunderstand the instructions on how to take their medicine. And so the pharmacy really – is, is on the forefront and is a, is a great opportunity where the patient or, or a customer can ask direct questions and get direct answers. They're, they're in a uh, consulting area where there's privacy. Is, am I correct uh, that the pharmacy has to have an area where, where I guess the guy behind you getting a bag of potato chips can't hear about your personal history? Well, uh, confidentiality,
1: yes, sir, that is correct.
2: Right. So now here's your opportunity to ask about side effects, ask about complications. And one other thing that I wanted to probably bring up as well is that, you know, we mentioned that in the prior segment with Dr. Givens with, you know, patients taking certain vitamins. You need to also tell your pharmacist and physician about the vitamins and maybe natural supplements that you're taking uh, because that can affect. Your prescribed medication
1: is that is that is that correct absolutely uh, what I find, and uh it's, it's it's quite appropriate and accurate that the physician earlier mentioned that uh, for instance, grapeseed extract, one of the right. nuances or the caveats of people consuming items that are not under what we call um, prescribed medication or legend drug is that some of the information regarding maximum doses and side effects uh, is absent, and that is just incidental. Uh, It's not a scenario where there's some cynical plan to allow people to consume as much as they can. But frankly, people do not view herbal medicines and over-the-counter supplements, even such as Tylenol, as being something that's dangerous or relevant because it is not prescription. This is a gross error in terms of the public's perception. Um, I have heard of instances where people have had very detrimental results consuming overcounted tablets such as Tylenol, and there can be ill effects from people consuming. We have something in pharmacy called food drug interaction. People, for instance, taking statins may have a predication to have uh, grapefruit in the morning with their breakfast, and they should be advised to not consume that because of consequences. And if you don't have the rapport with the patient or an opportunity vis-a-vis your physical scenario, if it is just a quick in or you drop it off and have uh, someone else pick up your medication, then that opportunity for that interaction and consultation is missed. Sometimes In our culture, we give people these sheets that basically satisfy a requirement as pharmacists and as we're regulated to provide information. But providing information and actually successful communication is uh, two different ballgames. And what we what we like to do ideally is what we used to say in the corporate world: engage the patient. This provides an atmosphere where there's information flowing back and forth. It's not only one-sided where we are giving out these facts and details, because many people in their current march in the day of life, uh, as I mentioned in my summary, by the time they get to the pharmacy, they've been to the doctor's office. Sometimes they've been there all day. That may not have been such an enriching or enhancing experience, so they come to us uh, with these items uh, as well as the normal ebbs and flow of life. So what we have to do is be able to get the patient situated so they can benefit from the information that we provide and also that they have a plan should there be some unexpected problems or issues. Now, when we hand out these little uh, memos that say common side effects, many times we don't mention that they're common and they're prescribed. I certainly agree with uh, the doctor that spoke previously also, is that there is no one-size-fits-all. Some of the things mm-hmm. I found, that patients have their own mechanisms and things that they may provide. They may take a supplement. Uh, they may take uh, uh, salt palmetto
2: salt per- or, Right.
1: Uh, vitamin D, a fat-soluble vitamin mm. or some other item that could potentially have interaction, and no one will know this unless the patient has had an opportunity to express it at some point. Also, in the pharmacy health profession, we have what's called medication therapy management. This provides uh, a clearinghouse opportunity to review everything the patient has consumed, uh, and this is typically provided at no cost uh, associated with a person's prescription insurance.
2: You hit on something before, and and I, I want to bring up the topic of over the counter OTC medicines. Um, uh, you know, oftentimes, you know the, you know the, the
1: members of the audience may understand that hey, I
2: can talk to my pharmacist about my prescribed medicine, but also you can also have a consultation about over the counter medicine. That is medications that is not that doesn't require a prescription. Is that correct? And what do you all do in in, in your pharmacy with regard to that?
1: Well, we have a concept or philosophy in our pharmacy that we empower patients to be proactive in assessing their symptoms, Mm -hmm. uh, treating their illnesses, and maintaining their health through our consultation, our education. And then, when appropriate, we will provide a referral to their physician or even perhaps some other uh, particular physician if the scenario calls for it. Uh, for instance, when we provide consultations, one of the things that should be, or one of the essential elements of that interaction, if a patient says, you know, I have a headache, okay, let's see what you have. If they are your patient, mm-hmm. you can review the medicine in the context that provides subsequent things. For instance, if a patient has uh, a cough, and you know they're diabetic, then we know as pharmacists, we will send them to the sugar-free area, so we'll full for us. Mm-hmm. I also counsel patients that The objective of overcrowded medicines is only to provide a temporary assistance for a temporary condition. If we find that there are persistent symptoms, there's usually a disclaimer on the bottle to contact your physician if it does not work. But according to the typical culture in our society today, many people are what we call um, self-treaters or or they self-medicate is the phrase we use. And so they may use a temporary stopgap on a chronic basis. This is not the best plan. Sometimes there are symptoms beyond uh, the auspices, perhaps of a pharmacist saying a headache may be indicative of some other uh, more significant chronic major illness. So, if mm. the aspirin, Tylenol, so forth does not work within that three to five day treatment period, that person should be encouraged to uh, pursue an appointment with the doctor. In this modern-day system of everything being so uh, regimented to uh, hospital visits, doctor's visits, subsequent visits, appointments, so forth, the sick visit is an asset that I see that is greatly underutilized by patients in terms of what we interact with the pharmacy. Patients will come to me, uh, frankly, because they cannot get an appointment to see their physician. In those scenarios, we ask patients to make a great and particular effort to see that physician if they have to go in and do what's called a sick visit. So these are some of the guidelines that we go by when interacting with people uh, in the -the over-the-counter market. Um, Your doctor also mentioned nutrition. This is a great Mm. missing piece in the whole realm of this proactive and wellness mindset that uh, the society seems to be moving toward and considering. Uh, I do believe in general nutrition, and actually most people have some aspect of an uh, opportunity to have particular nutrition of counseling regarding their general health. And I always encourage that aspect because um, what we would like to do and what we find in pharmacy and also in the wellness philosophy is that we just want to equip the body uh, as best we could to either endure uh, a treatment or to be able to recover or to not have such an impact with their drug therapy if that is the case.
2: What, one big issue that I find that's, I won't call it troubling, but I think it's somewhat an interruption of, of care, is when patients are forced to get their medicine by the insurance company by mail. So, therefore, um, you know, to me, that takes the pharmacist or decreases the contact that the pharmacist may have with that patient. Is there something that a patient could do about that and say, hey, look, I like my community pharmacist. I want to talk to my community pharmacist about my medication. And I know some of these, these, these mail-order companies will say, oh, well, all you have to do is just call. But I think, with, you know, a call doesn't take the place of a face-to-face consultation are, are there some things that, 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 are, that are one, in the community, if they choose to stay with their community pharmacist, that they can do?
1: Well, Dr. Williams, uh, generally most large corporations, companies, insurance companies, and PBMs tend to use that cookie-cutter approach. And for the most part, the savings realizes is a great benefit to people who have the insurance for their prescriptions called enrollees, okay? But the fact is that if a person calls and asks a specific question in a mail-order scenario, that opportunity to have those other conversations and the interaction, of course there will be minimum rapport, although there's some great customer service people. I've worked in mail-order before, so that can be uh, a part of the dynamic A pleasant experience But is it thorough Is it complete And does it take into consideration Scenarios outside A scripted response These are some of the issues That patients have When they After experience Experience uh, Or or have a Dissatisfied Or unfulfilled feeling uh, With that interaction Hey I called the uh, Medication in It's going to be shipped From across the country Uh, It turns out that Uh, I'm running short, what do I do? And so community pharmacy can provide a stopgap for that scenario. And also um, I believe that um, if you have a rapport and a uh, knowledge of a patient, an actual relationship, there's more opportunity to provide relevant alternatives based on other factors that you know about the patient. Some of the things I could mention would be, for instance, a person who might be a diabetic. And if you're speaking to them on the phone, you may not know that uh they're up in age, yes, we see the date of birth, but we may not know that uh Miss Jones or Miss Smith may also have uh a physical dexterity challenge. And so if you mm. suggest perhaps a Caregiver comes in, how often are you testing your blood sugar? Do you have someone that's living with you? If you're in a care facility, do you have someone that comes and tests your blood sugar on a consistent basis rather than inconsistent? Are you recording these results? Are you communicating these results to your physician? If there's something that's out of range, what happens? You're recording these numbers, what happens if there's something unusual? Who is there in that care environment? To provide an intervention that might also prevent further uh, damage or a significant scenario. We know that loss of control of your blood sugar can provide a great deal of consequences, uh, not to mention the inability to think clearly. So coming into the pharmacy, your community pharmacy, we believe, is a best investment. We believe that community pharmacies are still relevant in this uh, modern age of quick interactions and uh, automation. We believe that desensitizing and decentralizing patient care um, has no place in the optimal uh, potential of us providing a service where we know our patients, um, they know us. We have a rapport if something comes up and may be reluctant to discuss with the doctor we can provide a diplomacy and provide the platform for that patient to present those concerns to the doctor um, in a non-threatening way
2: you know and what I've realized with your career you're 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 passionate about this and you're passionate so much so that you uh, also written about these things. Uh, I was privy to have your handbook. You've written a handbook uh, specifically regarding, you know, patient prescription plan benefits to help patients understand, uh, you know, particularly with all this managed care, particularly with, uh, you know, transitioning from, you know, uh, the healthcare system under one president to, a, to the next. Uh, kind of on, on our last few minutes of the show, give us a couple of bullets. And we've, this may be a whole other show, uh, uh, maybe reserved for a whole other show, but you know, discuss your handbook and, and some, of the, some of the things that you talk about in your handbook of prescription plan benefits. Well, what happened
1: Dr. Williams many years ago while waiting on patients and realizing that um, over 80% of uh, all of the customers at all pharmacies utilize some form of insurance. As a matter of fact, uh, in the handbook, in the introduction, that at some point of our lives, we all are assured by some company in some type of way for some purpose. So, right. policies, we get policies all the time. Um, having a benefit schedule or a benefit website, so forth, that's great. But when it comes down to actually utilizing, utilizing these plans and this information, this prescription card they may present you. Uh, there's a there's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of ambigu- ambiguity. There, there are scenarios where we can't understand what the pharmacist is talking about. And so I wrote the handbook with uh, a twofold objective. The first thing is to provide patients some type of guideline. And the other aspect of the handbook is to provide a basis of communication. There's a term, jargon, when a pharmacist provides a response to an enrollee, a patient standing at the counter, such as, I'm afraid this drug is not covered. It requires prior authorization. Oh, those are big terms and great. What that actually is is that the pharmacist assumes that patient knows what a prior authorization is. I've had scenarios where patient's response would be, why do you need a prior authorization? You have my prescription. I just left the doctor. And so as we began to explain, interact, and unfold some of these many layers of complexity, The handbook will allow patients to walk through those scenarios, provide suggestions how to resolve and minimize time. Sometimes time is very relevant. I'll give you an example. Now I see the drug Tamiflu has actually become popular again. The relevance of that and many other drugs is that there must be, uh, after diagnosis, there should be a great push to start that medicine as soon as possible. Well, if you go into the pharmacy and find that it's not covered, what do you do? And so the book will actually provide some instruction as to how you can approach the pharmacist, and you have that option. Mm -hmm. Some people feel they don't have that option. What I'd like to suggest to patients if they need more or they want more information is that they visit our blog at um, www.RxCardMax.com. And please, if you have questions, email us, uh, subscribe to the blog, give us your comments, your scenarios. And uh, we believe we have the insurance base, uh, the experience base to uh, provide a plausible solution to most scenarios. And if not, just like in consultation, we can make the appropriate referral.
2: Well, I, I think you've done a great job with it. I've seen the handbook. And like I said, the material is probably enough for a whole other show, and I think that'll be beneficial to our audience. Today, we, I thank you very much for coming on the Weekly Wellness Show to help explain the role of the pharmacist in healthcare. And, Philip, I, I hope to have you back in the very near future to talk about medication, side effects, and other attributes that, that our audience can benefit from and keep in mind when they go to the pharmacy. Yes, sir. So thank you, sir, me. for joining us. I- I greatly appreciate it, and uh, and, and give us that give, – give them your contact information again, your blog. questions question
1: is not in the handbook, it's www.RxCardMAX.com.
2: Okay. All right. Thank well,
1: thank you for having me. I look forward you. to speaking to you again.
2: Okay. Same here. Well, that concludes our show for this week. Join us next week for another exciting and informative show with interesting topics and dynamic guests. Until then, be happy, be healthy, and be kind. I'm your host, Dr. Aaron Williams. Until next week.
1: I'm a night owl. You?
2: Nah, more of a morning person.
1: Do you like comic books?
0: Hmm, historical nonfiction, Documentaries?
1: Sci-fi. Window seat?
0: Aisle. Beach?
1: Slopes. Favorite color?
0: Red. You? Blue. Hmm.
1: Hmm. We all have different tastes. That's why Tim Hortons makes a rich, smooth, dark roast coffee served hot or iced. Try a small today for only a dollar plus tax. Tomato? Tomato. At participating U.S. restaurants, offer available for a limited time.